This interview was recorded in May 2021, where Jay Pathak was the guest at our Multiply Vineyard event, Leading, Planting and Pioneering. The following audio is taken from this event. Great. Well, it's great to be here. It's great to have Jay with us. And um, we're excited to be just looking at this uh, topic of um, formation for the sake of mission. Uh, for those of you that don't know Jay, Jay, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, say a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I, I'm presently in Denver, Colorado, um, which happens to be one of the best places to live in the entire world. But by the grace of God, I was called here. I didn't actually just selfishly choose it. Really? So, yeah, I mean, seriously, it's, I don't know. I mean, you know, my friend, my friend is writing an article presently that says, why doesn't God love Detroit? <laughs> like nobody, nobody gets called to Detroit, but, but we really were called here. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've been here since 9-11. We moved with 10 people to plant a church and now we lead what is a family of neighborhood churches. So we have six churches run Denver that I help lead all but none of them. So we have pastors for each one. And then uh, as we were discussing earlier, I am the national director elect, which means uh, I will start in that role in January for Vineyard USA. So that's, cool. that's a surprise to everyone, including myself. So I'm what, but it, it also <laughs> seems like the leading of the Lord. So we're excited. Oh man. Well, we are, we are super excited to have you uh, input and share with us. And um, Jay, I've come to, to get to know you and, and, um, and just have loved your generosity of heart relationally um, across the movement across here in the UK. And, um, and I, I really wanted to just begin by opening this session up and and ask you to share a little bit of your journey, both personally, but also maybe some of what you've seen in leaders around you and pastors around you, or just people who are following Jesus um, around this whole area of formation, because spiritual formation is a bit of a buzzword. Mm -hmm. It's talked a, a, a lot about. And... Um, I think it'd be really good for us to kind of frame that a little bit. What do we mean by that as we kind of go on this discussion this morning? Yeah, sure. I mean, you're right. Spiritual formation is sort of a buzzword right now. And in one sense, that's not great in that I think it's fitting some of the cultural moment we're in where people want self-improvement. So often what they're doing is saying, yeah, you know, the, secular space or the space outside the church is pretty interested in what would be pseudo spiritual thinking like can i manifest my reality by thinking about and saying things and you know so there's all kinds of different frameworks that are out there that are mostly for self-improvement and so in the negative sense maybe in the church we're saying yeah let's join the self-improvement bandwagon <laughs> uh and we'll spiritualize it around Jesus. So that would be the most cynical way of seeing that. But I think probably a more positive, and frankly, I think a biblical way of seeing it, is to say that 
the church for 2000 years has believed that entering into life with Jesus doesn't just prepare you to die, but shows you how to really live. And specifically in our traditions, which would be Protestant, what we've done is tell people that faith is about how you get into heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, even the ways that we proclaim the gospel is often, you know, if you were to die today, uh, do you know what would happen to you? Which is a really, when you really just remove yourself from that for a second, it's pretty morbid and strange. But I think what would be a more biblical picture from Jesus and Paul in the early church is not how do you get into heaven, but how do you get heaven into you? And the pictures uh, of the kingdom and really the life that Jesus offers us is to have the presence and the power of God in our life now. And in order to have that conversation, honestly, we have to acknowledge that everybody has a different story. So what it looks like to have God into your life if you've had a ton of trauma in your life versus relatively little trauma. If you've... Um, depending on your family story. It shifts the way that you understand authority, yourself, love, what it means to be a part of a family. And though we might have entered into life with God in a way that secures us for eternity, that tricky work of sanctification is the theological word of like becoming more like Jesus, having God grab a hold of every part of your life, is obviously different based on the story that you have entering into life with Jesus. And unfortunately, we've often in sort of Protestant environments done a good job talking about salvation. What does it mean to just be ultimately saved in life with God, but not as much around sanctification. So the spiritual formation thinking and conversation is asking, how is it that each person becomes more like Jesus within their unique gifts and weaknesses and strengths. And how does God enter into your unique story? And that isn't going to be a one size fits all. That's not a, a cookie cutter deal. And I think most pastors, especially, are at a place where they're going, you know, there's got to be another way because just getting people to read the Bible and pray and have a quiet time, it turns out it's not necessarily working. Um, most pastors recognize that that's not working within their churches. And if the pastors don't recognize it and leaders don't recognize it, the watching world sure has. You know, the people that don't have any life with God are going, I'm not sure that you look all that different. And it seems like you guys have figured out how to play some kind of a game that you're convinced you have this body of knowledge or some kind of secret key that we don't necessarily see in your real life. And so they're going, I'm not that interested. <laughs> um, and then of course, even people in churches know this is true. I mean, you guys, you've been in church so it seems that sometimes people get worse, not better, in church. 
Um, it used to be that we were sort of the moral authority. <laughs> uh, you know, people would go to a pastor to ask their opinion on something. That would actually be in the paper not that long ago, you know, a generation or two ago. And now, if you're a pastor or a leader, not only are you not the moral authority, it means you're probably suspect. Like, oh, well, we really don't want that guy's opinion. We don't want to know her opinion if she's a church person. So, so that's a really strange problem. Um, and frankly, I've I found that in a lot of church environments, people get worse, not better in the way that they behave, the way they think about themselves. They seem less kind. They seem more judgmental. And if that's not depressing enough, let me depress you further and to say that pastors, if they're really, really honest, they admit, I'm not sure we're helping people come become more like Jesus. But more than that, they look in the mirror and say, I'm not sure I'm becoming more like Jesus. And I don't know what it's like for you where you're at in COVID, but I mean, in, in our city, we've had dozens of pastors around the country just resign coming through COVID, not because of the state of their church necessarily, that would make sense, but more because I think they've realized, like, I'm not sure I've been making disciples. You know, in COVID, people just behave like everyone else. And when we thought we were cultivating an environment of discipleship and under fear and in the midst of the crazy election cycle, we were in here in the U.S. in the racial upheaval. I'm looking at my people, some of the leaders that I've been walking with for 20 years, and they're behaving in a manner that I, I don't even know what I've been doing with them. And furthermore, pastors are saying, and I don't get to preach to an audience or I get that feedback. I haven't been meeting with people in environments. So I've talked to a, a number of pastors that say, I realize that I've been doing this for my own ego. And I thought I was serving Jesus. I thought I was worshiping God, but the truth is I, I'm not very whole. I'm not in a good place because the minute you take away this sort of quick reward of people liking me. Um, I question my calling. I wonder if this is even worth it. And so they're just resigning. And I don't know, maybe they should. I, again, like I'm not, I'm not saying they should. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's between them and the Lord and their church. But, but COVID has been a great leveler of things. I think it's made everybody realize what they're really made of. And it was a moment, I think the church was probably intended to shine in the way we serve our cities and walk out our life. But I don't know that that's necessarily been true. So yet again, when evaluated, when examined, <laughs> we're going, I'm not sure yeah. we're who we're supposed to be. And so that's where, you know, as you mentioned earlier, formation seems to drive mission for me. Um, we try to get people to share their faith. We try to get people to work with the homeless or, you know, try to stop sex trafficking in their cities and plant churches, be missionaries. And then we're always shocked when we send them out and they fly apart. Well, why are we that surprised? I mean, what we did is we put a whole bunch of pressure on them, a lot of voltage in their life. 
that they hadn't experienced before. And what they realize is, man, I, I don't have as much going on under here as I thought I did. The foundation can't hold, the circuit, the fuse can't hold, the electricity blows the fuse. Um, and that means we have to do a different kind of work to access that stuff, to prepare ourselves, but then also to be realized when we get, when the pressure hits us, it takes courage to admit, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not behaving the way I think I'm supposed to behave right now as a pastor, as a leader. And instead of that, making it shameful and fearful and, um, try to redouble your will, like, well, I'll just try harder. Yeah. Um, instead of that, because if that were true, then we wouldn't need the gospel. We wouldn't believe in grace, right? That why would we need to be rescued by Jesus? Um, so as the scriptures are true, where they say, as you receive Christ, therefore walk with him. That means those are opportunities to receive more grace, invite God into a deeper place to reform us, to truly trust Jesus uh, in a deeper way. And so, yeah, so for me, I mean, this formation conversation really is the sort of string that pulls a lot of things with it, whether it's your friendships, your marriage, calling, leadership. And I understand many people have entered into that conversation through the self-help door. <laughs> so be it, whatever. Uh, but I think the more people examine church history, the scriptures as a whole, what it means to be a community, a church, a staff, to be a leader, you realize, oh, a lot of the roads lead back to this conversation. So. That's a great intro, Jay. <laughs> Love it. But I, <laughs> I just like, it's interesting how you framed your experiences and reflections on this pand pandemic season. Yeah. Because it's almost like before people would have created all sorts of structures and systems to hide mm -hmm. that that is the real authentic self. Um, and, and like what you're saying, Jay, is that th this kind of season has kind of exposed that. It hasn't, there's been no way of, of hiding that. It's been too long for, uh, been too intense in experiences that people couldn't control or out of their control. And so it's brought all of this stuff to the surface. And I think, but you were, this journey for you, in terms of becoming aware of it in your own life, in how you were leading, how you were carrying leadership in the life of those of your, your, the, your teams and pastors that are around you, mm -hmm. kind of predate that, don't they? That, that's been a journey you've been on for a long time. Uh, and it's something that that's how you and I really connected was this for me, just going, having that authentic, courageous moment of going, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm doing, <laughs> why I'm doing it and how I should do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So like, can you talk a little bit like, what was that journey for you? Like how, how did that sure. work out in your, in, in your life? Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, and it's, this would be true for my wife and I both, you know, we come from families that were not super stable. Um, and so for her, it, that was sort of in a Christian environment, 
but it wasn't very stable. So that creates a series of frustrations and dysfunctions and confusion for people who, if they've been raised knowing the right things in their head, but not experiencing it in their life, in their relationships, that creates a certain kind of confusion. But for me, having been in a non-church environment, no real faith, um, coming to Christ, I, I got to live under the illusion that because I've come to Jesus now, somehow I've been zapped and everything's different. And by the way, that is true. But, um, you know, I love Pete Scazzaro's quote where he says, you know, you might have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa in your bones. <laughs> so, you know, um, you do bring forward the patterns of formation uh, from your family of origin, but actually from generations. And, and the scriptures make this argument as well. Um, so it isn't just a sociological thought, it is a biblical thought. And so for both of us, being young and naive and excited about our life, we're involved in all kinds of ministry. And because we, um, in our early dating and marriage, were in a church that had a number of structures and a lot of momentum, being the Columbus Vineyard, uh, which with Rich Nathan pastors, um, you know, you got to like just show up and play in their playground, you know? So there's small groups and there's classes and I'm an intern and, you know, my little office and I got, you know, whatever, I do all my own things. And it was great. And there was stress. I mean, it's still ministry, but the difference between doing that and then going and planting a church where all of a sudden we're, you know, thousands of miles away and you're sitting in a little house with like 10 people right after 9-11 in our case where no one can get a job and all these things. And there's a different kind of pressure that hits the system. Being Danielle and I, uh, different questions around calling. And what you realize is I thought all this ministry was happening easily because of something we were doing, but the truth is I was just drafting off of someone else's mm. gifting and favor and faithfulness. And now we have to sort of build our own momentum. And, you know, there's warfare and any number of other things. So I started to notice myself behaving differently. Mm. Uh, for me, it was different places of anger, depression, discouragement was you know, you always have bits of that, but it was, it was really pronounced. Um, and then similarly for Danielle, so all of a sudden there's this friction in our marriage. And of course, the way that you justify that when you're a church planter is this is spiritual warfare, obviously, because it's not me, whatever it is, it's not me. It's some, it, because I wasn't like this before. So I'm still me. What's changed? The location. That's what, and the work. So obviously this is warfare. And to be fair, there's probably something true about that. But I think we, especially in the streams we're in, the sort of charismatic world, we can blame anything on warfare. And we also have learned sophisticated ways to justify our behaviors. You know, um, you know I'm not angry. I'm Irish. Uh, 
I, I'm not, I'm not shut down. I'm just more quiet. Um, I'm not rude. I'm assertive. I'm not a cynic. I'm a realist. How many more you want, right? Like you, you've just, you just sort of built it into your world. And what that does, it is in our own psychology, our own understanding of the world, it enables us to build a, a hedge where we're not responsible for the impact of our behavior on others. Well, the problem is, is, you know, you're, those things just keep piling up. And that was what was happening under pressure and strain for us. So it forced us to ask some new questions, which put us with a counselor. And then slowly as I'm doing some spiritual direction kind of exercises, a la Dallas Willard and really church history, as well as this counselor, I started to realize I have some patterns in my life that have been here really as long as I can remember that as the kingdom is encountering these patterns, Jesus is asking, can I change this? But there are ways of understanding myself and others that I've made friends with that have frankly benefited me. <laughs> um, being a workaholic served me in a lot of ways, but it was also damaging me. Um, for example, anger is mostly a control emotion. So I had learned to power up in certain ways when I thought things were out of control so I could wrest control back from, for myself and from other people. So it turns out those things work, but they don't really work. And, or they work to a point. And so to do that kind of work, to like unearth and flip that rock over was frankly pretty debilitating because most of us have been spending a lot of time for a long time plowing around real stuff going on under the surface and the way it's impacting us and other folks. And we know kind of intuitively to flip that rock over, there's gonna be some kind, there's something under there. <laughs> there might even be like a hole that's full of stuff. I don't know how many bugs or animals are underneath that rock. And man, if I flip that over, I might end up spending all my time having to engage at a deep level, some of that, that emotional unrest. And that's gonna debilitate the rest of my life. So it's just better to leave that rock there. But I think that Jesus intends to transform us and our, our ministries, our life to others will always flow from our own life. And so if our own wells are polluted or clogged, we're giving out of our own wells. And it's God's intention to help clean us up and heal us up for the sake of mission, not just for ourselves, though it is also great to live with more freedom but it enables us to be a conduit that can do more. I mean, you've, Mike, heard me talk about in 1 Peter 3, that was a passage that really had a huge impact on me, where we've used it mostly for apologetics, you know, around, um, you know, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. But the passage is a passage about fear, 
And Peter's basic argument is you're going to live such a hopeful, peaceful, non-anxious life in the midst of where people have conspiracy. I mean, talk about COVID. Conspiracy, <laughs> fear, in the midst of that world, your hope is set on Jesus, and it's going to be so palpable. It's going to be so different that people are going to come up and say, what gives you hope? And Peter's basic admonition is, when they ask you that, make sure you mention it's about Jesus. But what Peter's assuming is people are going to ask because you're living a certain way. And, and I think the sad thing for me is not only are they not asking, but we're actually adding to the fear and anxiety more than actually taking it away. I mean, when I look at Christian's on my Facebook feed or at best they're mirroring. And sometimes, I mean, for some reason, Christians seem more prone to conspiracy theories than normal people. So, you know, uh, when you compare that against Peter's text, what it really tells me is that deep work of formation has not taken hold because I see that the scriptures challenge us, commend us, to be the kind of people that reflex, react out of peace, forgiveness, hope, mercy, kindness, love. That it shouldn't be that we're gritting our teeth and clenching our fists going, I guess I have to forgive. But that you're, no, I've been so formed in the mercy of God that this pattern that's maybe been for generations, that we have divorce, we have addiction, we have unforgiveness. When things go wrong, we just cut people off in our family. That those patterns are being reformed by Jesus in such a way that I'm not having to grip my teeth, but I'm walking in forgiveness, in grace. I don't think that kind of work gets done by just like going to more worship nights. It's a different set of tools that kind of in community help us think through honestly, reflect, reflective about how did I become this kind of person and how would Jesus like to reform me? Uh, so helpful, Jay. I think one, one thing I'm, I'm hearing from what you're saying is this courageous vulnerability that's required mm -hmm. to kind of just to to have a mirror put in front of you and to be willing to look <laughs> and to not look at others to not to justify not to 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 think well it's because of this or it's a season or it, whatever it may be that we use the language we'll use but to say no no this is an this is me. This is who I am. This is where I'm at. And these are the holes in my story or in my journey that the Lord still, I still haven't yet met Jesus in <laughs> that. He's, yeah. he's still got some work to do in me, but also what I'm hearing you, you, you reflect Jay is that this, this shouldn't be a surprise. Mm -hmm. And yet it seems a surprise to many. Um, Sorry. I guess the question I've got um, for you is like, 
I heard someone say, uh, ask a question of someone recently that says, if you were to, if you were speaking to the 22 year old Jay, mm-hmm. and you were gonna just give them, him some advice around this journey that you've been going on back before. <laughs> now, sometimes you might go, well, I think part of it is you just, this is part of you growing up <laughs> and journeying and right. learning, you know, it's, but what, what, what would be some of the things that you would be imparting or, or things that you would have maybe put attention to previously in leadership development or in discipleship or in teaching that you would go, do you know what? This is where I would focus my time rather than maybe I would have gone naturally here or naturally there. Yeah, I think I think I would say for mo- I think it's true for most people, not just myself. I think I ended up in ministry in some ways because of my gifts and I believe the Lord calls and all mm-hmm. all things. But also because some of my weaknesses and some of the places that were not fully formed in me or have been damaged led me to be the kind of person that needed and wanted external affirmation. Um, Many of us can be led to think that if we can help fix everyone else, it will help us feel better. Um, it's It's a stunningly high number of people, for example, in health professions, whether it's nursing or social work or ministry, who come from addicted families, alcoholic homes, um, abusive homes in various ways. It's a, sh- it's a shockingly high number of the kids of those homes who end up in ministry. Because again, if you're looking through this lens of formation, they've learned how to take care of the needs of others. And they've learned how to present as though they have it together, even when the world around them is chaotic. So they do a good job showing up in ministry rooms and taking care of other people. And then as pastors and leaders, we see those people and go, wow, there's leadership on your lives. (laughs) Often, uh, many times, because that's how we got leading. So we recognize it the same. So, and again, I, there's any number of people when they hear that, they're like, oh, no, I mean, what have I done? Why am I? Listen, I think God works in all that. Yeah. So that isn't just weakness. It is strength. So God is in all of that. So to answer your question directly, I mean, I think looking back at myself, one, one of the key areas that I had to kind of contend with was how I interacted and understood authority in my life. And specifically people put authority over me because from my own formation, I was deeply suspicious of people who had authority over me. I was relaxed and could be myself with peers and with people that I had leadership over. But in environments where people I could tell had authority over me, I could I could even just feel, even on my own my mind, my own body, I would behave different. Because my own story of formation taught me that people who are 
leading you are mostly out for their own good, what they need and what they want. And they will use you to the extent that you're helpful for what they're trying to do. And the moment that you're not as useful to them is the moment that you'll either be discarded or confronted in any number of different ways. And so without, again, this is, these are the kinds of things that are subconscious. So I don't think 22 year old Jay knew that was happening. And to the level that he did know it was happening, he probably had a way of explaining it. Like, well, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm okay with them or whatever. So I'm not saying that was something that I was conscious of. But as I started to do this work, I realized that because I had such a strange relationship to authority, specifically people that I experienced as having real authority, I behaved differently, which cut me off from the source of real health and healing and hope. Because you need fathers and mothers in the faith to help you. And it also meant I interacted in a strange way as I had authority with other people without realizing. So I would probably want to say to 22-year-old Jay, um, you should probably pay attention to how you let people speak into your life. And the leaders around you are just normal people. They have, they have their own flaws. But there's an entire way of life that you will never be able to experience if you don't trust people that have gone before you. Mm. With full exposure, like open your whole life up and let them in. And I think that probably would have created enough of a crisis for me to have to do the other work. Because <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, most of the kind of work we're describing only comes with a crisis. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't examine these questions unless something's gone wrong. So even though the work we try to do with emotionally focused and a lot of the discipleship we try to do in the life of our church, what we're really doing a lot of times is creating a crisis. We're not just waiting for one. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're putting them in context. We're having them try things where they go, oh no, and then it's like, hey, good. So. So we don't have to wait for your marriage to maybe fall apart. We don't have to wait for some kind of massive conflict with a friend or your parents. Or We can just sort of create another moment where you can hold up a mirror and see something that would enable you to do some work. So, so Jay, would you, could I surmise from what you've just said then by saying that to some degree, many of our discipleship environments are too comfortable in the church yeah mostly what we're doing is living under the presupposition that if we give people the right tools so they can just sort of connect to god that will in some sort of backward way get them to be more honest and mm. aware of themselves which it can i mean don't get me wrong it, it can but generally it doesn't um generally what we do is we just create more padding mm. and more spiritual ways for people to justify a number of negative behaviors and patterns and and to be to be more generous i mean you do need a level of safety to do this work mm. you need some safety where you realize this is awkward and uncomfortable and 
you know, I'm going to be kind of insecure in this. So to have like the requisite amount of like, it's okay, you're loved. We're going to figure this out. You have to have, you have to have some padding to be able to do this kind of work because it can be bruising, but um, it, you, you got to have the padding unto something. <laughs> it's not just padding for the sake of padding. Um, to know your love, to know you're connected, to have a sense of how like you're held together by the ministry of the spirit, by the scriptures and by friendship. Those are all really helpful things. But then once we have that sort of environment, that context, it takes a lot of courage to start to examine like, what is going on under here? Where are the places that I, frankly, am plowing around and justifying, finding excuses for? Um, and I do think that's a way of loving people to do that work with them. Yeah, I think you've um, brilliantly offered a painful invitation for people to um, to explore that that they don't yet know or that they may not see in themselves, but just to kind of, to create that moment of discomfort for change and to for shift. Yeah. And so, and so I think this, this first session has been great just to, to leave that with people <laughs> and let's let's just do you want me to give you a concrete thing right now yes go for it here it is you can do it like in the room if you want if these people know you but you can do this out outside if you go to a few close friends go from the family that's from family of origin that you know and then a few leaders in your life and then maybe a few folks you lead those are like four different groups okay Go and ask, what can you always count on me for? What can you never count on me for? And how has that affected our relationship? And do your very best to not be defensive. You will notice how quickly your mind <laughs> will justify, rationalize, defend. Well, you're only saying that because you don't know. Okay, you know, whatever. Um, or I know who you are and this is why you, okay, just do your very best to get that information and then just watch how you respond. Almost like you stand to the side of yourself. That's interesting. Why am I reacting like that? And start to notice trends and become curious about yourself because the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, you could never be more loved than you are right now. You can do nothing to make God love you more. And there's nothing you do to make him love you less. But it's also true. You're way more sinful than you realize. It's so much worse than you know. Okay, so both things are true. <laughs> both things are true at the exact same time. And because the first thing, first thing is true, it means we can have courage to do the second thing. And without that, we're just going to keep fumbling over ourselves. And we're going to end up creating impact in ways that we don't realize. And most people are unaware of those things. Mm. So again, so there, there's an exercise we do that holds up a mirror, right? It, it creates an adequate crisis. And there's some people are like, well, I'm not going to talk to my brother, my sister, or my family. Well, the fact that you just don't want to talk to them says all you need to know. Even notice who you seek to avoid. That'll tell you something too. So anyway, that... Mm. I think that's a concrete example of what we're talking about. And I can tell you that I've had to do that. 
Jay's asked me to do that before and worse. And it gets, <laughs> and he, but like, I, I think this is, this is a great way for us to open this conversation up to say, like, even where is the resistance in you to say, I want to go, I want to step towards that. And um, because of, because of it, it highlights. And, and so I think um, I want to round this, this, this session off as we go off in, as, as the guys are going to go off into some other conversations and we're going to bring it back. Cause I'd love for us to just to come back into this conversation, Jay, with a few questions specifically lead, leading this into and framing it into leadership um, and why it's so important. So thanks for that, Jay. <laughs>